I invite you to join me in Ephesians 1. If you are not there already, Ephesians 1. Specifically, we'll be focusing on verses 13 to 14 this evening. As we come to the end of this first thought, this explosion of gospel truth, even as Paul sits down and he starts to write and he just, his pen explodes with the glory of God. And may God be honored this evening as we come to the end of this section before we jump into the rest of the book, verses 13 to 14. Let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, this evening it is our desire that you would get all the glory. For you alone are worthy. Heavenly Father, of these last several weeks, even as we have looked at this passage, we have been reminded of your sovereignty from eternity past. You have chosen us, called us out. In this passage, we are reminded of your redemption, the forgiveness of sins that is ours in Jesus Christ. Even here, we are reminded of all the promises that are ours in Christ and the hope that we have even as we look forward to the coming of our Lord and Savior. Heavenly Father, even this evening, as we look at this passage and we are reminded of all that is ours, even in the Holy Spirit, the seal, the guarantee of our hope, May we rejoice in these realities. May they embolden us to go forth in the surety of our stance in Christ boldly to a world around us that is dying. To proclaim this good news every opportunity that we have. I pray that you would be honored in this hour. In Jesus' name, amen. This evening, as we turn our attention to this passage, I want to begin by using our imaginations. So, I want you to start by imagining what is, in your mind, the perfect vacation. If you could go anywhere, money was not an issue, and you could just go anywhere, and you could do anything, where would you go? Just kind of picture that in your mind. Hold it there. Just the perfect vacation. Now imagine that you have a best friend, which you don't have to imagine. You probably do have a best friend. All right, so imagine your best friend comes over, and your best friend is all excited, and, and this is someone that you, you, you guys are, you, you do everything together. And so this person comes in and, and say it's a husband and wife and they come in and they're excited and they, they sit down and they're like, you will never guess what just happened. I won in all expenses vacation to this place and it just happens to be your dream vacation. And they're going through and they're saying, I get to do this. I get to go here. They're paying for me and I get to be here this long. Look at all these pictures of the things I get to see and do. And you are sitting there, and inside, you are, you are thrilled for your friend, are you not? I mean, you are excited. This is a dream come true. And yet, the whole time you're sitting there, there's a little bit of jealousy, right? That, that was my dream vacation. That's where I wanted to go. But then imagine, as they get up to leave, they turn around, and they say, oh, by the way, 
I got two extra tickets, and you can come with me. That changes everything, does it not? That fills you with excitement and joy. And I think that helps to kind of set the stage as we come to this passage this evening for us a little bit. Because there is context to this passage, not just in Ephesians, but even culturally in that day. You see, there was a divide between Jews and Gentiles. And even the early church is struggling through that. How do we relate to one another? You see that all throughout Acts and some of these epistles as Paul deals with these issues, trying to reconcile this deep, not just religious, but even cultural difference between them. So as you come to Ephesians 1, as you read in these verses, verses 3 to 12, as you read of this joy, this glory, this salvation that is in Christ, the fact that He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, the fact that He predestined us to adoption as sons in Jesus Christ according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, the fact that we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, that has abounded toward us in wisdom and prudence, all these promises that are ours in Christ. And yet you'll notice here in verse 13, there's a change. In verses 3 to 12, Paul is using the language of we and us. And when you come to verse 13, it changes to you. See, Paul is writing to a Gentile audience. And so the whole time my Paul is saying, all of these things are, are for us, they're for we. You can almost put yourself in the, in the mind of these Gentiles who are sitting there and they're saying, wow, that is great. Look what God has done. He chose Israel before the foundation of the world. He has done this. He has given them all these promises. That is great. I'm so glad that, that we here just get a little taste of it as Gentiles. And as Paul comes to verse 13, the whole point here, in him, you also. I have to imagine that verse 13, out of all of the truth in Ephesians, I mean, there are some great verses in here, but I have to imagine that verse, chapter 1, verse 13, is probably the favorite verse of these first century Ephesians. Because this is a verse in which Paul proclaims that all of these things, they are yours in Christ. Even though you are a Gentile, they are yours. It is almost that feeling, actually ten times more than that feeling, when your friend turns around and says, actually, you get to come on this vacation too. You are included in this. All of the benefits that are in Christ are yours. In fact, in verse 13, that first phrase there, uh, in the New King James, it says, in him you also trusted. That word trusted in the original language is not actually there. It's just kind of an unfinished thought. In him you also. Translators of the New King James put trusted in there to try and help that make sense. In him you also what? Well, you trusted as we go on to see later in the verse. In him you believed. But I think that kind of actually adds confusion to the beginning of this verse. 
Because in him, you also, the idea there is simply that, that you are also in him. All of these benefits that I have just expounded, the us and the we that Paul was speaking of in verses 3 to 12 is not just Jews, it is everybody who is in Christ. Even you also. You Gentiles, you have the same Lord, you have the same salvation, you have the same promises, and even as you will see going forward into the end of verse 13 and 14, you have the same Spirit. The focus shifts here from we to you. Paul is taking all of this salvation and he is driving it home to his Ephesian audience. This is yours in Christ. In him, you also. Well, how? How can this be ours? We, we aren't Jews. We are Gentiles. Because you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed. Because you heard the word of truth. Because you have believed in the same gospel. Because you also are in Christ. This gospel of your salvation, this gospel that he has just expounded in verse 3 through 12. You heard that. And you believed in Jesus. And therefore, you are in Christ. And all of these benefits are yours also. Not only do Gentiles have hope, as we see here at the beginning of verse 13, but also they have the promise of the Holy Spirit. You have this this salvation that is yours in Christ, this one in whom you have believed, but you were also sealed. At the moment that you heard and believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The idea there of to be sealed, it's the idea of security or authentication. This is a real salvation. You are secure in Christ. You cannot lose these benefits. They are rightfully yours and they cannot be taken away. It is the, a seal of a, a, an identification of ownership. Think of cattle that are branded. There is a brand that is put on the side of them that protects them from being stolen, right? Because it's obvious who they are. They are the ranchers. He owns them. They belong there. They have been sealed. That is the idea here. And notice the language here. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, not by. Not by the Holy Spirit. You were sealed with. The Holy Spirit is the seal, and the implication is that it is God, the Father, who has done the sealing. In fact, is that not the the implication of all of this? Verses 3 to 14, it is in Christ, but it is God who has done this. Starting in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. 
This is God's doing. And all throughout here, all three members of the Trinity, all three persons of the Trinity, are involved in your salvation. It is the Holy Spirit who is the seal, the promise. It is the Holy Spirit promised in the Old Testament and poured out at Pentecost, as we see in Joel 2, verses 28 to 29, recorded then in Acts 2, verses 17 to 21. It is that same Holy Spirit promised by Christ in his earthly ministry in Luke 24-49, John 14-16, John 15-26, John 16-13, and Acts 1-5. All of these promised by Christ. I will send a helper. It is that same Spirit promised in Joel, promised by Christ to the apostles that is now yours as a Gentile in Christ. As a lowly Gentile. You have that same Spirit. The Spirit of God who indwells, who seals you, who sets you apart. This is mine. Yet this same Holy Spirit is not just a seal of promise. He's not just the one who has been promised. He himself is also a promise. He is a promise of what God will do, as you see in verse 14. This Holy Spirit of promise is the guarantee of our inheritance. He is a promise that God will complete what God has begun. As, Ephesians 1, as Philippians 1 reminds us, he is the guarantee of our inheritance, a down payment of sorts, a down payment that cannot be taken back. Coming up very soon, I think it's this uh, next week, will be the NBA draft. As college kids are drafted into the NBA And on that night, as they hear their, their name called, they will go up on the podium and they'll be given a, a jersey and a hat. And they are on that team. That is the team that has picked them. And yet, they've not signed a contract yet. But that jersey and that hat that they take, having been picked, it is a guarantee. We are picking you. You are ours. This Holy Spirit that indwells us is not just the promised seal that sets us apart and identifies us as God's. It is also the guarantee of our coming inheritance. This inheritance is all that is in Christ. That is, uh, all that is in Christ is yours in Christ. You have that same Spirit. You are not a second-class citizen of heaven no matter what your earthly identification, Gentile or Jew, American or Peruvian, wherever, whoever, all that matters is you are in Christ. You have that same spirit and you, are, you have that same inheritance promised here in verses 3 to 13, 14. 
What is this inheritance? Until the redemption of the purchased possession. When your salvation is complete. There's a difference here. In verse 7, in him we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Before God, in Christ, you are forgiven. You stand cleansed. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ's. For those who are in Christ. And yet, there is a coming day when you will be glorified. When every... Or when his ultimate, final release from the power of sin. And that is the day that is here spoken of. It is the day that all creation longs for, Romans 8 tells us. The redemption of the purchased possession. And why has God done this? To the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory. All throughout this passage in verses 3 to 14, this is the refrain that echoes in verses 6 and 12 and 14 to the praise of his glory. Not only is this the refrain really of these first 14 verses, it's really the refrain of Ephesians itself. Look at all that God has done to the praise of his glory. From eternity past to eternity future, it is all for the praise of his glory. Every soul that is saved, every soul that is chosen in eternity past, redeemed and sealed in the present and glorified in the future is to the praise of his glory. Every single one. These first 14 verses is really kind of almost an outline of where the Apostle Paul is going then in Ephesians. He will pick up on many of these same themes throughout the rest of the book. He will deal, even as he does here, where he assures these Gentiles that you also are in Christ. He will deal with that again in in, in chapter 2. This middle wall of partition that has been taken down in Christ. Many of these same topics, redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, we'll see again in chapter 2, and we'll see then really in chapter 4 and forward the application of these truths. So even as we get forward to get ready to launch forward into the book of Ephesians, we've spent these first several weeks just going through these 14 verses. I would encourage you, go back and read these first 14 verses. Maybe even memorize them. Hide them in your heart, because these are truths to cling to. This is really the big idea of the book of Ephesians. Look what God has done to the praise of his glory, to God be the glory. 
just a short message this evening. As I looked at these 14 verses, I really had the option of doing them all in one monster message or breaking it up into three smaller ones. And there's so much here that I, I wanted to break it up. So as we come to the end of this, I, I pray that these first several verses have been an encouragement to you. And we are going to close with the song, To God Be the Glory. Even as we confess those same truths that we have just seen in verses 13 and 14 of Ephesians chapter 1. To God be the glory. Great things he has done. That is not just a truth that you are confessing. That is really your personal testimony. As you look at your life and your salvation that God has done to the praise of his glory, that is your testimony. Great things my God has done. So let's stand together and let's sing number 79 to God be the glory.